the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Matthew. Look, when you and I get into the Word of God and we take to heart what He says and we practice what Jesus says, we are building our lives upon a solid foundation so that when the storms come, not if, they will come. It's part of life. It's part of living in a fallen world. When they come, you won't be destroyed because you have Jesus as the foundation of your life. However, if you hear, but you don't do, then your life is not built on a solid foundation. Your life is like it's built on sand. And when the storms come, you're going to be carried away with the storms. The Bible tells us that Christians will face trials in this life. This passage doesn't imply a possibility, it implies a finality. So we will face struggles. What are we supposed to do? Well, today, Pastor Gary will remind you of the importance of reading and studying the Bible. The Bible has all the knowledge and wisdom that we could ever hope for. So when we can feel that trials have come, we can lean on the Word of God to sustain us. We can read and believe in God's promises and trust Him to carry us through. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Matthew, chapter 8, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Well, you know, this is what pastor said, and so both of our pastors are going separate ways, and this is just the kingdom's work, and God bless them, and, and I'm just, you know, wow, you're believing this? You're accepting this and thinking that this is normal, so we have to be very careful. So their doctrine, number two, their life, number three, their fruit, because Jesus says here, by, your, by their fruit, you will recognize them. So what kind of person is produced as a result of their ministry? What is the fruit of their ministry? What, what are the, if you will, children of their ministry? What do they look like? How are they acting? What is their life like? Because that is often the fruit of their ministry, and uh, it will often reflect whether or not it is consistent with Scripture or, or not. So again, when we talk about at the beginning of chapter 7, People often quoting, don't judge me, don't judge. No, 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 this is, this is an example right here where Jesus says, I want you to judge. I want you to be discerning here. There are some good teachers and there's some false teachers. And you have to be aware of this and you have to judge and be discerning by looking at their doctrine, their life, and their fruit. Uh, because the end times will be marked more and more by false teachers and false prophets. So be aware of that. Now, he links that part about false prophets with the next section, verses 21 through 23. I don't think that verses 21 to 23 are intended to cause sincere Christians alarm or concern as to whether or not they're saved. And But there are a lot of people who will read just verses 21 to 23, 
just taking it by itself, not seeing the flow of the context. And they'll read in verse 21, Well, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only who does the will of my Father. Wow, I, I, I hope I don't get in front of Jesus one day. And he's just, you know, totally deer in the headlights look. Like, I, I'm sorry, I don't know you. Well, wait a minute, I've been teaching Sunday school. And I've been ushering and, and, and I love Jesus and I know him as my Lord and Savior. And all my life I've been sharing my faith and people have come to know Christ. And Jesus is just going to be, I'm sorry, get away from me. I don't really know you. Uh, look, don't let this rattle you, okay? First of all, the context is... That he says here, and I think it's related to the false prophets. Not everybody, just because they say, oh yeah, Lord, Lord, is really of the kingdom. He says there are some false prophets who will do false signs and wonders that are still powerful, but again, are not to be attributed to the Lord because, you know, the work of darkness. In fact, 2 Thessalonians 2.9, Paul would write, the coming of the lawless one, talking about the Antichrist, will be in accordance with the work of Satan displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders. 2 Thessalonians 2.9. So there are counterfeit stuff out there in terms of displays of power. There's legitimate stuff, obviously, but there's some counterfeit stuff. And Jesus is saying that everybody, you just don't look at miracles and assess whether or not someone is of the faith or belongs to Jesus. That's what he means there. Well, many will say, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons, perform miracles? No, 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 no. And then he's going to say here, verse 23, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. Look, this is not intended to make us think that you can lose your salvation because Jesus says, I never knew you. You were never of the faith. You never really belong to me. These are false, the context here, these are false prophets. These are people who are doing things in the name, small n of Jesus, but they have no relationship with him. So they are producing counterfeit stuff, but they are not legitimately a part of the kingdom and they're not a part of the faith. So he says, I tell you, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. And then verse 24, he says, therefore. Now, this is a summary statement. This last part here is a summary statement about everything that he's just said, everything that we've just studied here about the Sermon on the Mount. Here's the summary statement. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice. Notice this. Both kind of people hear. They both hear. But the first one does. The second one does not do. Everyone, verse 26, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. So he says in both examples, they each hear, and in both examples, the storms come. But the one who was able to withstand the storms of life was the one who did what he heard Jesus say, or what she heard Jesus say, because when you put the Word of God into practice, you are building your life on a solid foundation. That's what he's saying here. Look, when you and I get into the Word of God and we take to heart what He says and we practice what Jesus says, we are building our lives upon a solid foundation. 
so that when the storms come, not if, they will come. It's part of life. It's part of living in a fallen world. When they come, you won't be destroyed because you have Jesus as the foundation of your life. However, if you hear, but you don't do, then your life is not built on a solid foundation. Your life is like it's built on sand. And when the storms come, you're going to be carried away with the storms. So he encourages us here to hear what he has to say and to do to put it into practice. What is the foundation of your life? And then I love here in verse 28, it says, When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Isn't that great? What does that imply? It implies that their teachers are just like, "Eh, we don't really know what we're saying. We think this is what God means. And I don't know. I'm not really sure. Look, Jesus is different here because he teaches as one with authority, not as their teachers of the law. Let's go a little bit here into chapter 8. We still have some time. Chapter 8. It says, when he came down from the mountainside. So here he is, still the northern part of the Sea of Galilee. Let me just put back up the picture in in focus so we can get the idea here. When he comes down off the mountainside, large crowds followed him. And it says, a man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord... And this is the first time that the word Lord appears in the New Testament. It is kurios in the Greek. Lord, if you are willing... First time anyone calls him Lord. He referred to himself by Lord up in the previous passage. First time anybody in the text in the New Testament calls him Lord. And this, this leper says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. And immediately he was cured of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, See that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Now, what we're going to read here between chapters 8 and 9 are about 9 to 10 miracles, depending on how you count them. There's going to be a series of miracles that that Matthew records here between chapters 8 and 9, about 9 or 10 of them. And I want you to notice with me that the first three miracles deal with the if not the outcasts of society, the subclasses of society. Because if you'll notice, first miracle is going to be a leper, second miracle is going to be of a centurion, and the third miracle is going to be of Peter's mother-in-law, a woman. Now, I don't say that to be disparaging, ladies. I only say it in a historical context. Because Pharisees in that day would get up in the morning and pray, Lord, I thank you that I'm not born a slave, a Gentile, or a woman. That was the cultural disposition of the day. Now, Jesus' ministry was always especially tender towards women, and he especially elevated them. And so you'll notice that that is not indicative of Jesus' ministry. But if you'll notice here, a leper, a centurion, a centurion is a Gentile, he's a Roman, he's a Gentile, and Peter's mother-in-law, a woman. First three miracles that Matthew records here are of the outcast or the subclasses of society of that day. First one he deals with here is a leper. Now, today it's called Hansen's disease. It wasn't until 1873 that a Norwegian doctor by the name of Armour Hansen discovered the causative organism of leprosy. It was a bacteria that now today is treated with kind of a cocktail of antibiotics. They're mostly cell phone antibiotics. And uh, so... Today, according to the World Health Organizations, there are only, I say only because even though this might seem like a large number, comparatively speaking, there are only about 200,000 cases of active leprosy around the world today. There are about 6,500 cases of leprosy 
uh, still in the United States. I, I remember I was probably about 12 years of age, okay, and I remember, uh, remember being invited to and went with my mom and a few other people from our church. There was another church that was having this missionary come and speak. I didn't know anything about who he was or, or what he was about. It was this kind of thing. I was like 12, okay, so I'm kind of being dragged there. And I go, oh, okay, great. You know, let's go hear a missionary and see the slideshow. How many times do you, do you need to see the slides, you know, and this kind of a thing. And so uh, here we went, and, and the, the guy, was, he was about a man in his 50s, and he's standing at the entrance of the church, and I didn't even know. I thought maybe he was the pastor, hadn't met him yet. And so, but we're shaking hands as we go through, and then, and then when it comes time for the missionary to share, here was the the guy that that we had shaken hands with on the way into the church. And he gets up and he starts talking about his ministry. And he he ministered somewhere, I want to say like Madagascar, it was somewhere where there's a high uh, number of uh, those with leprosy. And so he was talking about his ministry to the leper colonies in whatever country it was. I honestly don't remember. Here's what I do remember. I remember that as he's talking about this and, and you know, his years of ministry with the, okay, you know where I'm going with this, right? And his years of ministry with lepers and, and all of this stuff. And now I don't know if this is true, but I remember what he said. I didn't look this up to verify, but I remember him saying that you can be infected with leprosy and it remains dormant and it doesn't even show any symptoms for 10 years. I remember him saying that. And I remember calculating in my head. I just shook this guy's hand. I'm 12. I might be dead by the time I'm 22. And I just was calculating in my head, I might get leprosy. And I couldn't tell you another thing he said. I just remember thinking, oh, no, what, what have I done? And I'm going to be dead before I'm married. And I just, oh, and I just was so gripped with fear. I, I was so happy to get out of there. But, like, for the next solid year, I kept, like, looking for spots. Like, am I going to break out? I don't know what's going to happen. Now, here's what I've actually come to learn now many years later. It's actually one of the least contagious bacterias around. In fact, they say that 95% of people have a natural resistance to this. However, leprosy has affected the human race for 4,000 years, and it has still not been completely eradicated. There are some misconceptions about leprosy. It does not make limbs and fingers fall off. It does not do that. It is a skin disease that starts out sometimes as a bright white spot. Now, look, some of you are going to be, really? I think I have that right here. (laughs) Don't do that, okay? Don't go home and get on, you know, medical doctor MD and start, I might have leprosy. No, okay? But it starts out usually as, as these uh, rough patches, and it ends up making your skin almost like alligator, that kind of roughness, and it does affect the mucous membranes, and so often in the nasal passages, and it affects the nerve endings. So you, if you develop leprosy, you will often lose the sensation and the feelings in the tips of your fingers and in your extremities. And for that reason, people with leprosy will sometimes be missing fingers or hands because they, they're not aware, they don't have the, the sensory nerves to remind them of danger, so sometimes they will lose that only as a result of not having sensory, and it's not like things start falling off and they disintegrate, although as a result of uh, some of the oozing and the sores, uh, it is sometimes, uh, the aroma is often very, very unpleasant. Now, I say all that to remind us that in this day in particular, there is a social stigma that is attached to leprosy like nothing else. And in Jesus' day, they were all isolated and quarantined because it was thought that it was easily contagious, not as easily contagious as we know now. 
But even worse, it was believed in the day that if you contracted leprosy, that it was God's judgment upon you. And as a result, people with leprosy were seen as outcasts. And you had to live in leper colonies outside the camp or outside of the town or outside of the village. And anytime you approached anybody, you had to, and you had to stay your distance, but just so that people would know that you were in the vicinity, you had to cry out, unclean, unclean. Can you imagine that? Can, can you imagine your life? You have to go around saying, I'm unclean, I'm unclean, and give warning about your own condition. And yet, here is this moment where this leper, out of obviously extreme desperation, approaches Jesus without regard to the boundaries that are supposed to be in place. And he cries out to Jesus, Lord. He comes and he kneels before Jesus. Now, you have to remember that anybody with Jesus right now, because as he comes down the mountainside, it says here that a large crowd follows him. You can begin to see that the crowd is peeling away like, oh, no, here comes this leper. We have to move away. Not Jesus. Not Jesus. He doesn't move. He's always approachable. He's always touchable. Remember the occasion in the Gospels where it talks about that a woman who was we find out a prostitute, she comes in to Jesus who's reclining at the dinner and um, she weeps over him. And Simon the Pharisee thinks to himself, the Bible says, if, if, if this man who calls himself a prophet, if he only knew what manner of woman this was who touches him, you know, he would not allow her to touch him. But here she is, a prostitute, the outcast, if you will. And Jesus is not only touchable, but he receives her. And here he is with this leper too. Now I want you to picture this because this is a beautiful portrayal of how it doesn't matter whatever you've done in your life. Jesus is approachable. Jesus is approachable. And there are some people who tuck away in their hearts this sense of, well, because of what I've done, Jesus would never accept me. Because of what I've done, he must be just so angry at me, you know, he's turned his back on me. No, no, that's not the character of our Lord. He is approachable. He is personable. He is genuine. He is loving. He doesn't shun. He isn't grossed out by. He doesn't reject. He is receiving. And this leper comes kneels at Jesus' feet, and he says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. He doesn't say, if you can, you will. He says, if you will it, you can. And Jesus says, you're clean. He just speaks the word. He reaches out here. He touched the man, which would have been like just completely out of the question in that culture, but he touches the man, touches him tenderly here, and he says, I am willing. Be clean. And immediately he was cured of his leprosy. Can you imagine that? All of the disfiguration of his skin that looked like the hide of an alligator is now just smooth like a baby. And he receives all the feeling again in the extension of the nerve endings of his fingers. And, and he's not unclean anymore. And he's just completely transformed physically by this miracle. But more so, Jesus has just eliminated the social stigma. This guy now doesn't have to go around barking out that he's unclean because Jesus has just made him clean. Now, Jesus says something here that uh, makes me chuckle at least because he says, now, don't tell anybody. <laughs> I mean, everybody who looks at this guy is going to know something happened, but 
But Jesus says, don't tell anybody. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go show yourself to the priest. Now notice this. Jesus adds here, as a testimony to them. It's not like Jesus is saying, people aren't going to notice, because people are going to notice. But what he's interested in at this moment is, he wants this to be a testimony to the priests. Notice the language there. See that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Because Jesus is even interested in reaching the religious leaders of the day. Now, in Leviticus 13 and 14, there was given by God's prescription how you handle leprosy and how you're to treat it. And in Leviticus 14, it says how the priests are to deem someone as clean. But you have to remember, that was given around 1450 B.C. The causative organism was never discovered until our time, you know, A.D., 1873, These priests had never in their lifetime seen someone cured of leprosy, ever. So when Jesus says here, I want you to go show yourself to the priests, they're bound to have been, well, we've never seen one of these before. What is this again? Is it Luke what? No, it's Leviticus. We don't have the New Testament yet. Leviticus 13 or 14. And uh, they're looking here in Leviticus, how are we supposed to do this? What are we supposed to do? We've never seen anybody who's been cured of leprosy. And they follow this. Now, the whole way of deeming someone clean, there was, it's very elaborate in Leviticus 14. I'm not going to go through all of it. But I do want you to notice that, comparatively speaking, the final thing that the priest would do to declare someone clean from leprosy is that they would take the blood of a sacrifice and they would dab it on the right earlobe of the person the right thumb of the person, and the right big toe of the person. It might seem strange to us, but there's some purpose behind it. The most important of which is to note that it was exactly the same way that the priests were sanctified for their service unto the Lord. When the priests were commissioned for service, the blood of the sacrifice was dabbed on their right earlobe, their right thumb of the right hand, and the right big toe. And it was to symbolize, I want you to hear the Lord differently. I want you to put your hand to the Lord's work differently. And I want you to walk differently because you belong to the Lord. And the same way that you ordained a priest was the same way that you deemed someone clean of leprosy. And it was like this brand new calling of cleansing. And your whole new witness is now to be unto the Lord, devoted and exclusively for Him. And when the Lord, if you will, hear the spiritual connotation here. When the Lord does his cleansing work in your life and when he removes the uncleanness of your heart and he takes away the leprosy, if you will, of your own life, whatever your past is, he sets you apart for his good purpose. He sets you apart for his good purpose. He says, now I want you to hear me differently and I want you to put your hand to my work and I want you to walk and serve me in a way that is exclusively devoted to me. And he treats us in the same way, his cleansing work. It's as if we were lepers and then we meet Jesus and he takes all of the crud of our lives, all the sin of our lives and he says, now you are clean and you are devoted for my purposes. Isn't God's word good? You are devoted to my purpose for my calling for this day, for this generation. So as you know that cleansing work of Christ in your life, use your life now as that witness that is devoted to the good work and the good news of Jesus Christ wherever you go. Spread that sweet aroma for the purpose of giving glory and honor to the Lord wherever you go. Open up and up and jump in
Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Pastor Gary has been walking us through the first book of the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew. This unique perspective on Jesus' life gives you a glimpse into the Son of God, the Savior of the world, and the true King above all kings. Jesus' greatest act while on earth was to give His life to pay for the sins of every person, and that includes you. If you're ready to step away from your mistakes and failures and embrace a new life, Jesus is ready for you. His grace is enough. You can come to Him no matter what your past looks like. Would you like someone to pray with you? Or do you have some more questions? We'd love to talk to you. Please connect with us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. We'd love to meet you, too. You're invited to join us this weekend at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg. We're meeting in person as well as online. And you can find all the information you need on our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. There, you can also hear additional messages from the series in Matthew or others that Pastor Gary has shared. Again, that website is cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all we have time for today. Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know